Abandon all prejudices, all ye who enter here. Park your paradigms, perk up your ears, and open your mind as we now shine the laser light of reason on the topic of Come Ride on the Truth Train with me. Hello, I'm David Bolton, and welcome to my podcast channel dedicated to helping people think more clearly, make sounder judgments, avoid superficiality, and above all, to unceasingly question instead of naively accepting what others want us to believe, for this is the path of Socrates. My friends, some people have a sort of aversion to philosophy because they think it's so complicated, it's not even relevant. I understand why they think that. I don't agree with that. But I do understand because so much philosophy that we read about is so complex and so so difficult to understand. Now, the great philosopher Schopenhauer accused another great philosopher, Hegel, of being purposely obscure and difficult, just so it seems like he's more deep than he actually was. I would kind of agree with that judgment, but since I really don't have any idea what Hegel was talking about, and no, hardly anybody does, uh, <laughs> I can't really judge that. Nonetheless, I've always felt that philosophy, which in its root meaning means love of wisdom should be expressible in a way that practically anybody can understand not in a way that practically nobody can understand here the germans are the greatest sinners if we think of uh immanuel kant for example or hegel uh, schopenhauer is rather understandable you must be a thinker to really get through his uh, big volume his most famous work uh, but Nonetheless, he is understandable. Some philosophers get into certain 20th century philosophers and you have no idea what they're talking about. And just reading a few pages, you no longer care what they're talking about. Uh, I don't want to go down that path at all with you. And I promise you, I never will. It's too strenuous, not just for you, but for me as well. I like to put things as simply as possible. So we're going to play a game. Don't you love games? I do. No, I don't mean Monopoly. That always bored me because it goes on forever and ever. Trivial Pursuit. Okay, I was never on a losing team. I admit I do it pretty well, but I never liked it because it's Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we're going to take a ride on the truth train. This is a metaphor, by the way. <laughs> we're not really taking a train trip. That would cost money. And who has a lot of that extra these days, right? I don't have much of that left over at the end of the month. What is the truth train? Okay, this is the metaphor. And I don't care how young you are. I think even a kid could understand this. You have your little choo-choo train that you're riding on, right? Now, some of you have a big train, some a smaller train. Every train might look different. But they're all the same gauge. They can all ride on certain tracks, right? So on your train, you might have different cars, box cars, passenger cars, whatever. Imagine it however you like there. You're on this train and along with you is the sum total of everything you know or that you think you know. Now you can imagine this as baggage, you can imagine as, as products in the different uh, freight cars, you can imagine as, as people. But this is the sum total of everything you know or think you know. For example, maybe you studied, I don't know, math. 
So your math train car, right, is pretty big. You know a whole lot about math. Uh, my math train car is a lot smaller. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can get by with math, but it was never my greatest strength. Then your history train car. Well, maybe you're a good mathematician, but never got too much into history. So that train car, that that's not as filled with stuff, right? Mine might be, uh, might have more wear in it than yours. Might have more products in it than yours, right? It could be your uh, you play the violin. Well, then your music train car. That's pretty filled. But somebody else that doesn't know much about music, well, that's almost empty, right? But along with the things you know. And that's what we'll represent as freight cars, right? With boxes within. The boxes are the, the, the information you carry in your history freight car, in your politics freight car, in your personal opinions freight car, as far as you yourself are concerned, you know, the things you think about yourself. Some people maybe don't think too much about themselves. And so that freight car for you is very small. But somebody else maybe only thinks about themselves. That's pretty big there. And within that freight car, there could be truths about yourself that you have recognized. There could be a lot of fantasy as well, things that you think you know about yourself, but they really aren't true. So that's your personal, we'll call it a freight train now, right? Okay, everybody has one of these trains in a metaphorical sense. I have mine, you have yours. Uh, if you've lived a longer life, your train is going to be longer too. You understand that, right? I remember as a kid when I visited my grandma, in Hanover, PA. I lived in Baltimore, which was a real hellhole then and still is now. There are a lot of great people there. <laughs> I will say that. I learned a lot in the ghettos of Baltimore. Uh, one thing I learned was don't judge people by their race because you have good and bad people in every race. <laughs> Very simple message. Something that <laughs> we don't need BLM telling us to kneel down and say black lives matter. All lives matter, let's face it. And if they don't want to accept that, then go to hell. <laughs> Because it's BLM kneeling down for BLM, where their leaders are trained Marxists. Uh, come on now, really. Uh, no, living a life in Baltimore in what we would call a bad area, a lot of crime. But I learned that they're good and bad people of all races, all religions there. In any case, I, nonetheless, living in Baltimore, I had a lot of friends there of all colors. But I was happy to visit my grandmother in Hanover, PA, because it's a small town where practically no crime, at least by my standards, no crime at all. You can walk down the street any time, day or night. You didn't, didn't have to fear for your life. Uh, and she had a really big, beautiful old house that had been designed by my grandfather. He wasn't an architect, but he was like a jack of all trades. He was good in a number of things. He designed this house. I still have memories of every nook and cranny in that old house, and I still love it. And it was for me devastating when about, I don't know, 15 to 20 years ago, they tore it down. She had long since moved out because she couldn't afford the high taxes because it was a big house with some land around it. So the, the semi-socialist system in America forced her out. <laughs> uh, but anyway, in that big house, what some people saw as a disadvantage I loved, and that was across the street, there's a gas station, and just, just right next to that, there was a train track that went down a little, you couldn't, you could only see the top of the train from there. But to the right, the land went up a little, there was a crossing there, you could see the train. And I say some people consider that a disadvantage because the trains are loud, especially go by at two o'clock in the morning, whatever, right? They're loud if they blow their horn when they come to the intersection. But as a kid, that didn't bother me at all. I loved it. Because no matter what time of night, it might be 3.30 in the morning, but I'd hear that, I hear a train horn. And I'd get up and run to the window and look at the train. And I thought as a little kid, wow, that's going to be my job. I want to be a train conductor. 
to drive the train over the landscape at night when everybody's asleep, but I'm going over the landscape through towns and villages and over the country, passing cow pastures that have been going through forests maybe. Wouldn't that be nice? And going maybe different parts of the country and then coming back or maybe coming back in a different route. I imagine what that would be like. And I'd also count the train cars. I think, let's see how long this train is. And sometimes there are like a hundred different boxcars. I mean, you'd be surprised how long some trains are. They don't move too quickly. And even when I was a kid, there were no longer passenger trains going through Hanover, PA. They had stopped them a few decades earlier. I think my mother might have remembered them as a kid. My grandmother certainly did, where even these small towns would have passenger train stations. The one in Hanover, PA uh, is historically known for one reason, because Abraham Lincoln when he took his trip to Gettysburg to make the Gettysburg Address, he made a stop in Hanover, PA and waved to the crowd or something. <laughs> and that little train station still exists, but it's been turned into, I think now it's a real estate agency or something like that. <laughs> uh, it's been remodeled and everything. But it is of historical significance. Well, I'd be there counting the boxcars. And to get back to our metaphor, I know I like to go off on these tangents, but why not? They're fun. Nostalgia always has a place in my heart. And so older people have longer trains with more boxcars because you've learned about things. Maybe you even went through university. Maybe you didn't, but even if you never went to school much at all, you learn things in life. And so you have knowledge of life, of yourself, of your family, of people, of your country, of your town, of, of, of animals, of trees, of, of everything. And then also all the academic learning you you may have had along the way, or things you just picked up on your own. You might have a hobby of carpentry, so you learned many things. You've read many books. You maybe even make YouTube videos, or at least watch a lot of them, and you can make a lot of, say, furniture, piece of furniture. That's also a, a, a boxcar in this train. All the knowledge you have, but also in the train you have knowledge you think you have. This could be, in our metaphor, uh, let's see, how could I put it? You open a boxcar and you have boxes filled with stuff. That's your knowledge, certain things. But then sometimes you find a box that's empty because the last time the train stopped, some mafia crooks you know, entered there and they stole certain products. They put the products, the TV sets in their boxes <laughs> and carted them off and the train just has some empty boxes on it. I know about that because my father worked at the waterfront and he was a checker and you have to check and see that the, the products that come in on the ships are the ones that they're supposed to be because there's a lot of well, a lot of crooks in the world, a lot of mafia, and they would maybe hijack a lot of products and just leave the empty boxes behind or just steal the entire, the entire uh, uh, container. And so you have to count and see what's really there. Well, in our metaphor, we have that phenomenon too. We compare that to empty boxes in your train car. For example, you're interested in politics. And if it's, you know, about the left and the right, say if you're American, Democrats, Republicans, and you think you know a lot about that, right? Maybe you're one of those things, Republicans are always right, or Democrats are always right. And the other party, they're the bad ones. Well, now we're getting those empty boxes, <laughs> which could be compared to empty heads in a way. Because in any big political party, virtually in any one, you're going to have some good people and some bad people. So these people that are going around and say, oh, Democrats are good and all these Republicans are bad or the opposite. They're fools. These people are fools because they haven't really thought about it. You know, even in like the, the, the Soviet Communist Party, 
I guarantee you there were some good people in the party. They were just in the party because that's the way they were raised and they joined the party because that was things to do. But then they saw the abuses and maybe they worked behind the scenes to, to make life easier for the people instead of just oppressing them. Even in a Nazi party, there are examples where there were good people. As a matter of fact, I knew such a, a man. Uh, in Nazi Germany, if you had any good position in a company, this man was an engineer for Mercedes. And of course, in the war years, he went from designing better car motors to designing like plane motors and whatever, such things. But he wasn't even especially interested in politics. It's just that someday, because he was one of the top engineers, his boss came in and said, sign this. He said, what's this? He said, well, everybody in a better position at Mercedes has to become a member of the party. This is like 1934 or whenever, uh, before the Holocaust, before the Second World War. And he said, well, okay, I'll sign it. And so he had officially a number in the Nazi party. This was uh, the father of a business partner of mine. And I met the man once, very nice gentleman, and he wouldn't hurt a soul. He didn't kill any Jews, he didn't kill anybody else. As a matter of fact, he was a bit too old to be a soldier. He was in his, let's see, I guess in his you know, 40s, mid-40s when the war ended. But as you may know, at the end of World War II, towards the end, uh, Hitler wanted everybody to fight. So even if you're in their 40s, uh, they would take you and say, okay, you're going to stop the Allied advance. Uh, here's an uh, anti-tank grenade gun, something like Americans had the bazookas, you know. Uh, but they were, uh, yeah, anti-tank weapons, right? Said, here's one of them. And when, when American tank comes along or a British tank, you pull this trigger here and you blow the tank to smithereens, right? And he said, okay, fine. He and the other people that were in this, these old guys, or maybe young kids of 15, they, they recruited those too, right? So what happened? Well, then the American tanks would come. Of course, this guy wasn't even there because he threw down that weapon and he ran away. He's no fool. He's not going to say he's 45-year-old, wasn't trained militarily. He wasn't going to stand up against American tanks and the others weren't either. So that Nazi plan kind of fell through. It reminds me of what the Japanese were planning uh, in case of an American invasion. They were training school kids with spears to say, when Americans come, you run them through with a spear. Yes, yeah, sure. That's really going to work well. Right. The Americans wouldn't want to be killing Japanese children, but they would have if they're all attacking with spears. I mean, you know, but that's where fanaticism gets you. Right. So I just want to say uh, in modern day politics, anybody who believes that everybody in one party, they're just the evil, bad people. Well, these people are fools, pure and simple. So in your train car, for example, your political views, how many empty boxes do you have? How many boxes, where if you open up, you see there's really nothing there, it's just foolishness, right? The idea would be the knowledge you have of different things, that is the boxes in each train car, let's take mathematics. Well, let me tell you, my mathematics freight car isn't very big. It, it does, well, let's put it this way, it doesn't have any boxes in it. <laughs> yes, I know certain mathematical operations, some I've had to learn for things I've had to do, and then I do learn them because I'm interested. But don't ask me about what advanced Jordan algebras are. That's always the example I give because I know that they exist, but I have no idea what they are. Anybody who studied mathematics out there will be laughing at me because you know what they are because you've studied advanced mathematics. And of course, we can't be an expert in everything. But how often do we in life pretend that we're experts on things? Politics, wow. <laughs> Religion, oh my God. You know, theology. Did it ever strike you as strange that every religion has its theologians? 
But just with Christianity, there are probably a thousand different types of Christianity. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. It was calculated back in the 70s that only in the United States there were over 250 types of Christianity. And that's only in the United States. So types of Christianity you probably won't find in the United States. And by now, there are probably a thousand different types, if not several thousand. And each one will have its theologians, some more established than others. Lutheran theologians, their entire uh, universities where you earn your degree in Lutheran theology or in Catholic theology or in this or that theology. But did you ever think that, okay, if there are a thousand, or say, let's say, let's say 300 types of Christianity, and they all have certain different tenets, Britain beliefs, well, and each one says, well, this is the path, this is the way, right? Did it ever occur to you that they can't all be right? And the most, only one could be right, and probably none of them are right. That ever occurred to you? In other words, <laughs> when I hear somebody has their doctorate in theology, that's not the same as a doctorate in physics <laughs> or mathematics. If you have a doctorate in mathematics, you know things. You know things that are pretty solid. You have a doctorate in theology, it could be that 80% of what you think you know. It's just hogwash. It's nonsense. Not everything, of course. And these days, there's a tendency to kind of group things together. We're Christians. Okay, we do believe in Jesus Christ and that he was our savior. But you have some types of Christianity where they don't even play up that message too much anymore because they're kind of waking up to the fact that, well, uh, maybe there isn't all that much truth in all these different theologies. Uh, that's just one example. And I, I'm not an atheist. I, I do believe in a supreme, intelligent, loving, creative force. Call it God, call it Allah, call it what you will. And I do believe in life after death. But that's not the path. And no, I'm not going on another diversion from our truth train. This has a lot to do with that. What I'm saying is that on your, what you consider your truth train, that is what you believe to be true, what you, well, know to be, 2 plus 2 is 4, okay, we can say we know that. So that's a, that's a box on everybody's truth train, a little box is very obvious, uh, in your mathematics freight car, and we can accept that as true. But other things that we believe, even about yourself, maybe you believe, oh, I'm a good-looking chap, and you ask a hundred other people, and they say, well, he's kind of average-looking, maybe a little ugly. The other way around, you think, oh, I'm really an ugly devil, but you ask other people say, well, no, he's not ugly. It's kind of normal. In other words, we believe things about ourselves that really aren't even true, objectively speaking. And they're just totally based on subjective thinking anyway. I mean, you know, if you say, well, I think I'm ugly, I'd say, okay, define ugly. <laughs> and how many people can define ugly or beautiful? Or these these people, I don't know, certain women I know come in mind that they think they're just so beautiful. Of course, in part, it's art because of all the makeup they put on, the way they dress. And they, and maybe 90 out of 100 men would say they're beautiful, right? Although, on the other hand, think of certain models that they think they're so beautiful. Take them back in the 17th century in the Rubens era. People would say, what? She's skinny as a skeleton. This woman isn't beautiful. Because back then, people thought, no, a woman should have really voluptuous curves, shall we say. In other words, she should weigh something. She should have more meat on her bones. And some of these models are so skinny, and they would say, oh, this isn't beautiful, but, you know, so tastes do change. Is beauty just in the eye of the beholder? No, I don't think so, but that's a topic for another episode. I just want to say that even the things you believe about yourself, probably half of that is nonsense. But what does a train do? Well, it rides on tracks. Ah, now we're getting to something. Why did I entitle this episode, Come Ride on the Truth Train? 
I didn't want to imply that when you're trained, you have the truth, although you might think you do. So many people think, what I believe, that is the truth. I could only laugh at that. The things I believe, some things I'm quite convinced of, but my opinions and my findings, I should say, because it's not just a question of opinion, my conclusions are always open to modification. I never say I'm 100% right in anything. And I always challenge people, hey, you don't agree with me in this? You think I'm wrong? Prove it to me. Debate with me. Let's talk about it because maybe you can show me something I haven't seen before. Great. I'm all for it. But how many people are there that don't even want to get into a debate and they get mad if you question their beliefs because they know that they're right? Well, they're the people with truth trains that are filled with empty boxes. Half of their boxes are empty. They think they know something. And they open the boxcar door and say, look, look here, I have, I have uh, 200 crates containing TV sets. And you go up there, you open it, wait a minute, half these boxes are empty. In other words, I have 200 boxes or crates here with truths. And you open them and say, wait a minute, there's, it's, it's empty, half these boxes. Ah, but they, they think that this train is full of truths. Well, no. This train is full of what you, full of, in part, it has truths in it. Two plus two is four. You believe that and it's true. But a lot of these boxes are empty and you might not realize it. And this is why our truth train is on, ideally, on a certain track. Now, even more ideally, this track coincides with the path of Socrates. No, I'm not about to end this episode yet. <laughs> You might think so, because that's often the way I end. I throw in the path of Socrates again. No. This track is on the path of Socrates if this track is the one heading towards truth. But there are many tracks out there. And you know with trains, they can switch from one track to the other. Somebody pulls a switch, and suddenly the, the train isn't heading towards Baltimore. It's heading towards Pittsburgh, right? Because it, it's a different track, right? Where is your track heading in life? You have your train that is the train that you proudly call it's my truth train, the things that I believe, that I think are the truth. You see, I'm always aware that in my truth train, some of those boxes are probably empty. So I better check them out. Remember, my father is a checker in the waterfront. I guess I inherited that from him. Every once in a while, I better stop my train and open up boxcar number eight. Oh, that's the history boxcar. Open up and say, oh, let's see if in the boxes I have there, if they're really filled with these truths that I thought were in there. Oh, wow, looky here. I thought this was filled with, say, TV sets, but no. Uh, in, instead, we have some kind of widget here. What is this anyway? Or some kind of mechanical, but this isn't a TV set. Or open another box. Wow, I thought, hey, this is the America landed on the moon on July 20th, 1969 truth box. Open up, my God, this isn't the truth after, it's empty. I thought, I thought this was true, but it, it doesn't seem to be true after all, right? So why am I the type of train conductor, train driver for you foreigners out there that don't know we call these drivers conductors, uh, why am I the type that would stop occasionally and go back and check the wear that I have in my freight cars? Well, because I've put my train on the path towards truth. Now I must say we're in the twilight zone here. Don't think that I believe that someday I'm going to have all the truths, at least not in this life and not in this world, maybe in the, in, the, in the astral world or something or beyond that. But in this life, I don't think I'm going to have all the truths. But nonetheless, we're in the twilight zone, remember. The track that I have chosen, I've made sure that this track is on the direction of truth. 
the truth might be so far away, I'll never get there. In this, and almost certainly it will be. And in any case, I'm not going to expect at the end of this life that I can go back to each of my boxcars and check and say, yes, my boxcars are filled only with the truth. Every single box and every single boxcar in this freight train has the truth in it. No, I'm not naive. I'm not stupid. That's not going to happen. Even at the very end of my life, and even if I live to be 200 years old, there could be things that I believe that aren't true. And with you, it's going to be the same thing. It's only a question of relativity. I think relatively, I'm going to be closer to the truth than a large percentage of mankind, because a large percentage of mankind doesn't even check to see what they're carrying around on their freight train. Now, remember, I said these tracks lead the path towards truth. And you know what a train track is? It has two rails. And in my metaphor here, these rails are very, very meaningful. They're not there just coincidentally as part of this track. No, no. The track leads to the truth, and that's the track I want to be on. Whether that's pleasant or not, oh, that's a different thing. That's a different thing. It could be the track leads to some territory that's not very pleasant at all. Maybe it's extremely hot or extremely cold, whatever. But for my life, I don't care about that. I care about heading towards the truth. I know I'll never really get there totally, but I want to get there as much as I possibly can and recognize as much as I possibly can. So on this track, once again, it has two rails. Remember this part. This is so important. These two rails have names here. They symbolize something. The one rail is called evidence. And the second rail is called sound reasoning. Don't ever forget this. One rail is called evidence and the other rail is called sound reasoning. These are the two rails that form the track that's heading towards the truth. Now, maybe you put yourself on another track. This track could be the track of confirming what I want to believe. It's not the track heading towards the truth. It's a more pleasant route, I will give you that, because you're going through life just looking for confirmation of what you already believe. Your two rails are not called evidence and not called sound reasoning. They are called, for example, one is called the beliefs I already have, that is what's in my train, and things I like to believe, things that are pleasurable to believe. They're your two rails. And that alone shows you your track is not heading towards the truth. All you're doing in life is looking to confirm the things you already believe. For example, you think you're good looking. So all you do is look for evidence that you are good looking. Good luck with that because you get older and older and you're not going to be as good looking at 80 as you were at 20 or 30. I guarantee you. So good luck with that. <laughs> Maybe the path there seems more pleasant because you don't have to face some unpleasant truths on the way. But in the end, it's going to be even all the uglier, right? Or maybe in your political beliefs. You believe, for example, Republicans are always good and Democrats are always bad. And that's what you believe. And all you're looking for is confirmation. So you're not using sound reasoning <laughs> and you're not looking for evidence. You just want confirmation for what you already have in your train. Right? It's To extend the metaphor, you're the conductor of the train. You don't stop and look what's in your freight cars. You don't check it. Because after all, maybe the last time you took a rest stop, uh, some crooks came in and stole half the boxes in, in freight car number 10. But you don't even check. 
all you do is every once in a while you slow down and you ask some guy alongside the road, hey, is all my or is all my or my boxes still there? And he's yep, yep, no problem, they're all still there, and you just take his word for it. But really, that guy is the mafia, and at the last rest stop, he's stolen half the boxes here, and you don't even know it. You don't even check, right? So you're not on the path towards truth. You're on the path of confirming what I already think anyway. In other words, you're on the path towards foolishness. You're on the path of the fool. And I'm here to tell you that. See, this is why I could never be a politician. Because what politician insults the people? <laughs> you can't do that. Oh, you can insult the other party. You can insult. Uh, you can insult. I don't know. Even Bill Gates, or if he's not, if you're not on his payroll, you can insult other countries. But don't insult the masses because you need their votes. Well, I don't need their votes because I'm not running for any political office. I only, I only run for office if mankind is woken up so much that they can take somebody who just tells them what he sees as the truth, and he can back it up as well. In other words, if they can take some hard knocks and they want to vote for me, and if by popular demand they want me to become a politician, I will. But I'm not going to hold my breath because I'm no fool. <laughs> Nobody's going to ask me to become a politician. I don't think so. Not anytime soon. And I don't care. So let me ask you, what path is your track on? And what are the two rails on that track? To get back to the path towards the truth, the two rails are, as I said, evidence and sound reasoning. This is what I always use. Now you might say, well, David, you said you believe in life after death and such things. Well, that doesn't, that's not evidence. That's even scientific. No, I'm sorry, my foolish friend. Just the opposite would not be scientific. Where is the scientific proof that there's no life after death? That is that, that consciousness Where's the proof that consciousness is not an energy that can survive the body? There's no proof for that whatsoever. There's really no evidence for that either. I'll get into that in another episode. There's no evidence for that. There's what appears to be evidence, but there is no evidence for that either. And there's a lot of evidence. Once again, I won't get into it. It would take me too far here. Uh, but there's a lot of evidence that, yes, consciousness can survive what we call death. I used to be an atheist materialist, but because of the weight of evidence and sound reasoning, I'm no longer an atheist materialist. You see what I mean. Those who know, know just what I mean. Astrology, they say, well, one, one person said to me, how could you think so scientifically? How could you be an astrologer? That's nonsense. They say, how do you know? They say, well, everybody knows that. Yes, yeah, if that were a scientific proof. Oh, because everybody knows that. I said, well, I don't know that. And there are millions of people like in India that don't know that because every time you want to get married there in India, you, you go to an astrologer. I mean, so the millions and millions of people that don't know what you say, everybody knows my foolish friend, right? Uh, and I would say the opposite. Anybody who thinks that planetary positions can't influence us at all is a fool. Look at the position of the moon, how it influences the tides, right? Uh, it's been shown that planetary positions influence uh, uh, sun, uh, sun activity, well, if that's the case, why shouldn't it influence us as well? I mean, we should be starting from a premise that it, these planetary positions can influence us. Not, I'm not saying that everything that astrology books have in them are true. A lot of nonsense is in those books. I'm the first to admit it, being an astrologer myself. But to say, oh, astrology is ridiculous, and everybody knows that. That is so unscientific. No, I'm a scientific thinker. I'm on the I always consider the evidence and use sound reasoning. Why not just evidence? Well, because for some things, there's no concrete evidence, but you can use your sound reasoning. In other words, if 
a shot is heard and your neighbor falls down dead and security camera shows coming out of the building a mafia hitman and later you discover that this person owed the mafia $100,000 and he wasn't paying. This is not solid proof that that mafia hitman killed the person. But if you can reason soundly, if you're a detective, you think, well, we don't have the, we don't have the DNA evidence yet, but we're going to assume he's the one that shot the person because he's a mafia murderer. And this man who was killed owed the mafia $100,000 and he had refused to pay. I mean, put two and two together. This is not solid, concrete evidence. You could not convict this mafia hitman just on that. You can't. Now, if you then arrest him, you find powder marks in his hand. You find a gun in his pocket and the bullet in the corpse is the same. It was fired from that gun. Well, yes, then you can convict him. Even then, the proof is not 100%. I'll talk about that separately on another occasion. Even then, in no court of law can you prove something 100%. But probability-wise, you can give evidence that maybe is 0.99.9% this guy is guilty. And with that, he'll be convicted. People don't make these distinctions, but they really should. Evidence is not the same as proof. But we should always be on the path of considering the evidence, no matter where it comes from. This is why my very first episode was about how stupid it is to say, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. That doesn't count. Conspiracies exist, and there's nothing wrong with having a theory. There are weird conspiracy theories, unfounded conspiracy theories, stupid conspiracy theories, but every conspiracy theory is nothing wrong. If somebody says to you, I have, a, I have a conspiracy theory, man didn't land on the moon. The first thing you should say is not, oh, you're a fool. How can you say that? If you do, you're stupid. Yes, stupid, one of the meanings is, I'm not saying you have a low IQ, you might have a high IQ, but one of the meanings of stupid that I will point out again and again is lacking common sense and good judgment. If somebody says uh, that he believes we didn't land on the moon, the first thing you should ask, you shouldn't just say you're a fool or say, where's your tinfoil hat, that stupid expression. You should say, okay, on what evidence are you basing that or on what sound reasoning? That's what you should always ask. And then you should do something that for most people is something unheard of. You should actually listen to what they say. Did you hear that? You should listen to what they say. If somebody says these so-called vaccines are dangerous, don't say, oh, you're, you're a stupid Trump-supporting conspiracy theorist. If you do, you're a fool. You're an idiot. What you should say is, why are you saying that? When what, evident, what evidence do you have? And how, are you, what, how do you reason that through? And then listen to what they say. And believe me, some of the people who say these so-called vaccines are dangerous, they will give you an entire river of evidence. And I don't mean things that they made up. I mean scientists, well-known scientists, including Nobel Prize winners that have pointed out the truth of these bioweapons that are masquerading as vaccines. So you should listen to those people because your life might depend on it in that case. Don't be stupid. And if you are on this train that I'm mentioning on the path towards heading towards the truth, then the two rails on your track are called evidence and sound reasoning and always follow them. Always follow any evidence, listen to people because maybe there's evidence out there that you don't know about. Just because that, that box uh, isn't in your freight car when you're a train, just because you don't have that evidence does not mean it doesn't exist. So keep your mind open. 
question, question, question. If somebody comes up with a weird theory, if they say, oh, the CIA is chasing me and they put a satellite into orbit just to track me, or, or yes, they're doing whatever just to listen to all my phone calls, then, well, ask too, what's the evidence? Do you have any evidence whatsoever? Show me the evidence. Theoretically, it's possible, but if it's a nobody, if Donald Trump says that, you better be sure it's true because they're following him. They're trying to spy on him. Every, they, they have always, ever since he announced his candidacy for president. So he's not crazy if he says that, but if it's your next door neighbor, your best friend suddenly saying the CIA is following every move he makes, he's probably, he probably has a mental problem. You see the difference there, right? But even your crazy friend asks what evidence they have to help him to think more clearly. If he says, oh, well, I had some evidence, but it just disappeared magically. You say, well, then don't try to convince me because you have no evidence. When you have evidence, show it to me. And show me the sound reason. Explain to me why, why the CIA is even interested in you in the first place, because let's face it, you're not that interesting. And see what he says there. But I'm saying, even if it's a, a, an obvious maniac, ask them. Show them the courtesy of saying, okay, where's your evidence? And where's your sound reasoning here? Because I will guarantee you, if you make this a maxim to follow in your life, always follow the evidence and sound reasoning. For example, maybe you're the jealous type. And you think, oh, I, know, I just know it. My wife is cheating on me. Just because you're a jealous type. Well, if you're a friend of such a person, say, okay, where's the evidence? They say, well, uh, because she's beautiful and I'm not good looking, so I know she's cheating. We say, wait a minute, that's not evidence. Just because she's beautiful, that's no evidence. Okay, where's the evidence? Well, I don't know. I had a nightmare last night. We say, well, okay, that was a dream. That's not evidence. Point out that he's just being paranoid. But when it comes to the faked moon landing, <laughs> boy, there's a lot of evidence. I could recommend a good book there. Bart Sibrell. Uh, a book that he wrote uh, about us not going to the moon. Uh, I did a podcast episode on that. Look it up. You'll hear all about it. I have a, a link to that uh, too, I believe. Uh, and you'll see all the concrete evidence there is for the conspiracy theory that we did not go to the moon. And I'm conv it convinced me. And believe me, I follow evidence and I'm a very sound reasoner. Believe me. You won't find many that reason as soundly as I do. You'll find some, yeah. Some that reason better than I do. But you won't find many. I can guarantee you that. And once again, I'm not saying everything I believe is true. But the things I believe always are passed through the filter of sound reasoning, good judgment, and evidence. And the two rails are the one, the sound reasoning and good judgment, put them in the same category, and the evidence. The more evidence you have, the less you have to reason so soundly. Obvious, right? Two plus two is four. Okay, I have two apples in one hand and two apples in the other hand. One, two, three, four. You don't have to waste a lot of time using sound reasoning. You know, really, you don't. And for some things that are obvious, I'm sitting in my living room making this podcast episode. Could it be that this is just a dream? Yeah, it's possible. But it sort of doesn't seem like one. Okay, maybe I'll wake up in 10 minutes. I'll think, boy, that was the most realistic dream of all my life. It's possible. I leave that open as a possibility. But I will say, based on the sound evidence of me perceiving with all my senses, I'm sitting here in this chair making this podcast episode for you, uh, that there's a 99.999% certainty that this is really true. I don't have to start reasoning about it a whole lot. But with other things, like whether Trump was good or bad, oh, <laughs> 
Well, that's something to reason about and look for evidence about, isn't it now? But no, there are most people, they just stick to their, what they have in their box. So I think that Trump was the most evil president ever, or I think he was the best president ever, and they don't even look at the evidence. The people who support Trump are more inclined to actually look at the evidence, look at what he did for the country, etc. right? And those who hate him are, are like, uh, a lot of them seem to me like maniacs. They, they can't support what they say. They just go, oh, because he said something bad about women 10 years ago. Well, gee, in the greater scheme of things, I don't think that's too important compared to, you know, doing really big things for the country, like keeping us out of wars and such things, you know? You know what I mean? I think the second thing is about a million times more important than some remark he made 10 years ago. But if you're a hater, you're not thinking clearly. You're not following the path of evidence to sound reasoning. And some people are simply haters. We have that on the other side, too. People might have hated Obama from the beginning for whatever reason, because he was because he was half black, or because uh, they just don't like anybody who's a leftist. I mean, the leftists' extreme socialist ideology. I despise it because it doesn't work in the end. It breaks down in the end. I don't despise it because it's called leftism or whatever. I despise it because it's stupid. It doesn't. It will always break down in the end. And I've thought this through. I'm using sound reasoning and the evidence of all extreme leftist societies in the past, communist countries, that have all broken down at the end. So there's evidence and there's sound reasoning why it can't work. You see my logic there. I'm against Nazism and far right because basically it's the same thing as the far left. It's, it's, uh, it's collectivism, national socialism, you know, Nazi, national socialism, what is it? It's socialism. It just has a right-wing flavor, but it's the same thing in the end. It's totalitarianism, where people at the top tell us what to do. And I'm against that sort of system, whether it's extreme right, extreme left. Extreme right, ex you, you, once again, my metaphor there, you're in the middle of, you're in, in the equator. And one friend of yours travels east and one travels west. In other words, one's going to your right, one's going to your left. Where do they end up on the other side of the earth? They end up together on the opposite side of the earth. We'll call your side of the earth individualism, where you should be, but the other side is totalitarianism, collectivism. And the, the far right and the far left, they end up in the same place. It's Hitler versus Stalin, two collectivist uh, mass murderers. That's where it ends up. And the people today that want to wipe out most of humankind because we're in their way and because we're not useful for them. These are, it's a combination of far left and far right totalitarians. And that's what I'm against. I'm on the side and always will be on the side of individualism. Because you have, as an individual have a lot to offer. But in order to be an individual of sound mind and clear thinking, you had better put your train on this path towards the truth. And remember the two rails on that train track. Follow the path of evidence. Always ask for the evidence. Always seek the evidence. And then use sound reasoning, not emotion. You can go off on another track, and that's the, uh, that's the path towards uh, error. And that's the path of the one, yeah, the one rail could be called here, uh, what I already know, accepting that as the truth. And the other path is emotion. I'm going to judge things just by my emotion. I guarantee you, you're going to be wrong a lot of the time. Not that I'm not emotional. If you've listened to my podcast episodes, you know I can get very emotional. But emotions have their place. And seeking the truth, emotions get in your way. Let me tell you. 
Some people will see somebody despicable. Hillary Clinton for me is despicable. But if she says something that's true, I'm the first to say, hey, that sentence was true. I agree with that. I don't let my emotions get in the way. I won't get into why I think she's despicable. <laughs> I could say that about a lot of politicians and not to mention a lot of other people I can think of. And I can, I can justify that, believe me. But all I'm saying is, even if Hitler says something that was true, and I heard a video a while ago, I think I mentioned that in one of my episodes, uh, somebody sent me a video with Hitler speaking 15 minutes on the economy in Germany in the 1930s. Everything he said was true. I thought, well, he wasn't ranting and raving. He wasn't yelling. <laughs> he was speaking very sensibly. Everything he said was true, not to me becoming a Nazi. Don't worry about that. I despise Hitler, of course. He was a mass murderer. He was a maniac and a mass murderer. He was an evil person. But that doesn't mean everything he said wasn't true. Sometimes he said things were quite true. Why do you think so many Germans voted for Hitler? Do you ever, you ever question that? Because whenever we see films of Hitler, they're always the films of him ranting, like a, you know, yelling and screaming like a maniac. And you think, why would people vote for this idiot? Well, it's because a lot of times he gave speeches that were quite sensible in great part. And that's why, so that's how he convinced the people. But of course, now because we hate Hitler, we simply don't show people those parts where he made sense because we think, oh, maybe some people could be seduced and becoming Nazis again. We don't want that. So let's just show them the Hitler that's ranting and raving. Well, okay, I understand that logic in quotes. I understand that psychological manipulation of the people. But believe me, you can show me a hundred films of Hitler speaking sensibly. I'm not going to become a Nazi because it doesn't matter what sensible things he said for me. I can put my emotions one way or the other aside and just say, this man was involved in starting wars, in oppressing people, and in murdering people. And that's all I have to know to condemn him. I don't have to think that he was a, a, a sexual pervert and this and that. I don't have to think that. I know enough already. But some people are really so, I don't know what to call them, uh, unenlightened, shall we say, to not use such a strong term again, like stupid. <laughs> They're so enlightened that, that if you show them Hitler speaking sensibly, they might think, well, maybe Hitler was right in a lot of things. Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, okay, in some things he was right. In some things he was right. But it doesn't matter. In so many things, he was an evil, devilish mass murderer, and that's enough to condemn him, right? And what I want to know about Hitler, about anybody, I want to know the truth. I don't want to be manipulated. I don't want some powers thinking, well, let's not show them the entire truth because they might be seduced again. No, I'm not easily seducible. Well, I'm not talking about my past in maybe more personal, intimate matters. <laughs> well, then maybe I was. <laughs> A little humor can't hurt. But in, in other things, no. As far as my beliefs are concerned, I'm not easily seducible. You should know that about me by now. Why? Because I've always been on the path heading towards truth. It might take me eons to get there. But I'm heading on that path. And the two rails on my track are the rails of evidence and sound reasoning. And along the way, I'm always listening. I always perk up my ears, keep them open. If somebody has a theory about something, I'll listen to what they say. And if it's ridiculous, I'll totally destroy their, I'll totally destroy their theory. But if they have some sound evidence and sound reasoning, then I'll listen and say, hey, tell me more. Because that's how you gradually should move towards the truth if you want to have any hope of ever obtaining it. So let me thank you today for following me. We're riding along with me on the truth train. Hopefully you're on that track, the truth train, right? And you know what the mental process is, how to clean up your train, 
check those boxes, see what's really in them, see if the beliefs you had before are true or not. If it's not, take that box and just toss it out of the train and then try to formulate new beliefs based on, based on what? Yes, the two rails of evidence and sound reasoning. And if you do that, then you will always be one of the passengers on the great truth train that is heading down, yes, you guessed it, the path of Socrates. Thank you for listening today. Until the next time, bye now.